Hi everyone and welcome to the Poma Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Um, and today I'm welcoming um, a kind of an old friend, in a way, to the show. Um, she's an author and uh, a blogger and a missionary. Um, and she's a very, very wise woman. Uh, Christine Sign. welcome to the show. Thank you, James. <laughs> it's great to have you on. I think I had you on a few years ago. I, I actually can't remember now. I've done like 160 episodes now, so it's a lot of efforts to remember every single guest. But, um, That's for sure. <laughs> um, but, um, but yes, uh, Christine's um, the, has written some amazing stuff over the years. Um, she has this blog called God Space, which is amazing. Um, there's a lot of reflections and contemplative things, um, which is fantastic. And I've written for that site before. Um, and now she's got a new book out, which I'm really fascinated by and is on a really interesting subject. Um, it's called The Gift of Wonder, which is an awesome title by itself. Um, so tell us a bit about this book and the kind of the story behind this book, Christine. Um, well, it's an interesting story, actually, because I didn't really set out to write a book on the gift of wonder. Um, what happened was I was thinking of writing a book on creative spiritual practices. And then one day I was absolutely riveted by where Jesus says, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom. And so I thought, huh, I wonder what are the childlike characteristics that make us fit for the kingdom. So I posted it on Facebook, my question, and I was amazed at the number of responses I got. I mean, I probably got um, 50, 60, maybe 100 responses to my question, and everything from playfulness to imagination to love of nature to trust. And so uh, um, I decided to take 12 of the characteristics, the ones that both most appealed to me and the ones that... Uh, people mentioned most frequently, do some research, and that was what became the gift of wonder. It, it was fascinating, um, partly because I hadn't realised that there was so much kind of scientific research out there that had been done on things like play and awe and wonder and imagination. Um, and as I went through, you know, it, it, it was mind-boggling. Um, because we live in a world in which we suffer from play deprivation. I mean, how often do kids go out and play these days? Uh, what they call nature deficit disorder, um, because, you know, kids aren't getting enough time outside. We suffer from awe and wonder depletion. Um, you know, all mm -hmm. of these things that I was researching that I was finding were really the childlike characteristics we needed um, they're just not there. And I thought, wow, no wonder people are moving away from God. You know, I think we, as a result of the loss of these childlike characteristics, we've lost touch with many aspects of God as well. And so that's what the gift of wonder is all about. Um, and I've enjoyed writing it. And I think from what I can tell, people are enjoying reading it too. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. Um, yeah, it's... Um I mean, creativity and spirituality are kind of two of my big passions. And uh -huh. like, so to have a book which kind of unites them and kind of intertwines them is really, yeah, amazing. And I, I just love the, I just love the idea of a childlike spirituality and a kind of curiosity and a 
you know, just wanting to learn and wanting to imagine and dream new things, you know. And uh, and you're right about that deficiency in in children. I'm in children. Like my sister has got two um, chil- very young children, and one of the things she makes a big point about doing is taking them outside a lot, like every day, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And um, getting them into the world, getting them into the, you know nature and you know letting them enjoy their life you know and um and you can see it in you can see it in them like my niece and nephew are full of wonder and in uh-huh. imagination and joy you know it's it's um yeah and you're right i mean it's incredible that there's actual actual research behind this as well just get, give us a bit of a taster of that and unpack that for us well first of all play you know which is obviously the place that most of us think that we need to start uh, there's a National Institute for Play here in the United States. I wow. suspect ones there is in, in other countries as well. And Stuart Brown, who heads up this, says that nothing lights up the brain like play. In other words, the brain comes to life more when we play than with anything else. And he believes wow. that play is as important as oxygen for our survival. Um, And he talks about the fact, you know, that play is often the way that we form relationships. It's the way that we we de-stress. It it has so many benefits for us. It's the way we kind of tell people that we're safe to be around. Um, You know, you you think of it, um, if we play well together, then it often makes us relax in somebody else's presence as well. And yeah. so it has so many benefits for us that we don't even realize. Um, so that was number one that I looked at. Awe and wonder. Uh, I live in Seattle. And last year we were, I think we had 98% um, uh, coverage for the solar eclipse last year. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it, so it was amazing. And the nice thing about it was that it was a time when I was working on my book and um, so there was a lot of research that was coming out about the impact of awe and wonder. And the fascinating thing that they were saying was that awe and wonder makes us more caring and compassionate people. And they say that what it does is that it shifts us away from focusing on ourselves to focusing on other people around us because mm. it makes us aware of the fact that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. And I think that's fascinating. You know, I think, wow, okay, no wonder. Uh, we're, we're suffering from loss of compassion in all of our societies. I think part of the reason for that is because we've lost touch with each other. And I think maybe a good dose of awe and wonder every day is something that can help us mm. to reconnect to each other and I think to reconnect with God as well. I mean, you think of how often uh, the Psalms talk about awe and wonder, you know, awed by the presence of God, awed by this aspect of God. I am awed by this and that and the other. I mean, the moment you start thinking about this, you find that it's, the Bible is, is totally, um, uh, you know, interspersed with thoughts of awe and wonder in a way that we, we just don't realize at all. And um, so that was fascinating. Um, mm. And the third one that I love to talk about because it's so unexpected is reminiscing and nostalgia you know i mean kids love to have you tell stories uh and their favorite story is the story of their birth 
uh, you know, and they will have you tell them the story of how you first met them and how you interacted them with them in their early ages over and over really? and over again. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, they just love it. They just love it. And the research shows that nostalgia is not only for all of it. Um, for example, one of the things that um, uh, I uh, was looking at, sorry, uh, James, I'll have to break. My dog is barking at the door, wanting to go out, so I just needed to let her out. I'm sorry about that because um, that was going to be distracting me as long as we want to. But, you know, the whole idea of nostalgia, looking back, and they say that particularly at certain at, at times, you know, like when we go through major transitions, yeah. uh, nostalgia is very important for us. So when we go from um, childhood to teenage, to from teenage to adulthood, um, and uh, it, it, it actually... Uh, decreases our aching, uh, it improves our posture, it improves our blood pressure, and the one that is most fascinating to me, it actually improves our eyesight. Um, really? Don't ask me how, but that's what the research suggests, is that's that when we reminisce, it improves our physical well-being, and I think, and I bet it improves our spiritual well-being. I mean, you think of the Old Testament and how often uh, God told the children of Israel, um, to remember, you know, remember this, remember that, write it on your door, on your um, door post, yeah. uh, you know, so many times, and we kind of dismiss that, uh, or we think of it as just historical record, you know, God wanted them to have a historical record, hmm. but as I was doing this research, I realized it's more than that, that God wants um, us to reminisce, because God knows that this is something that is important for our well-being in so many different dimensions. So mm. that's just to glimpse, they're the, they're the three that I think um, I found the most fascinating. Um, you know, there's a lot talked about in terms of the impact of nature uh, and imagination, but there, I think, play, awe and wonder uh, and nostalgia are three that we don't tend to think about at all. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, nostalgia... I think there's a there's got to be a difference between healthy nostalgia and living in the past. Oh, definitely. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, because sometimes when people talk about nostalgia, it's easy to get to connect that with oh, we're just living in the past. We we'll talk about the past all the time, but that's different from what nostalgia is. Nostalgia is kind of, I guess, it's telling stories from the past which bring you joy. You know. Yes. Rather than saying, oh, things were better back then, or, um, you know, you know, we need to go back to the old ways, or, like, I'm just, gonna, I'm just living in the past, but just actually remembering what's, been, what's happened in the past with, with fondness and joy, you know, I think that's the well, difference, isn't it? Oh, definitely, and, not, and more than that, I think it's, it's looking back at the past and saying, hey, you know, this is what I did in the past, uh, and... Wow! Looking forward, I can use this as a as a uh, a way to move forward as well. You know, um, mm. and often I think when we look back, uh, it can give us strength to move forward if we look back in a healthy way. And I think that's a lot of what God was doing with the children of Israel was that He 
you know, they were being encouraged to look back and to say, hey, look what I did for you in the past. If I can do that for you in the past, imagine what I can do for you in the future. And I mm. think that nostalgia is like that for all of us, you know. God's saying, hey, look at what I've done for you in the past. Imagine what I can do for you in the future. Um, and, and I think that's part of the power of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, this is such an amazing subject. Um, I mean, one of the things actually that I, I know you talk about in the book is curiosity and the gift of curiosity. Um, so just talk about that for a bit because I'm fascinated with curiosity. I think it's it often gets a bad rap. People say curiosity is bad and don't follow your curiosity, but I think I don't. I've never agreed with that. I think um, following curiosity can be a good thing and it can help you grow. And help you oh. learn and help you create. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about that as well, about, about curiosity as a good thing and following your curiosity. And I and, got, yeah. I would have. Well, and you, and you think of kids, you know, kids are constantly asking questions. Uh, you know, they're curious about everything. Uh, they're curious about how things work. They're curious about how things look. I mean, they're constantly asking questions. And I think that's a very healthy thing. I think that God intends us to ask questions. I mean, you think of how often uh, when people ask Jesus questions, he didn't say to them, oh, don't ask me a question. He would, you know, encourage them, in fact, to ask questions uh, and stir their curiosity in all different kinds of ways. I mean, mm. um I, I think one of the, um, the um, there's a curriculum here, a children's curriculum, or it started as a children's curriculum in churches called Godly Play. And I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. But it, it's basically a curriculum that opens children up to curiosity. You know, um, it asks them questions like, I wonder if you saw yourself in this story, who would you be? Or... You know, even just, I wonder uh, where you see yourself in this story, or I wonder what you think about this story. Um, really encouraging kids to enter into the stories in the Bible uh, and to see themselves in them. It, it, it's fascinating, and I think the kind of strength that it gives to kids uh, is, is tremendous. And I think that that's the same for all of us, that asking questions strengthens us. You know, I mean, part of what it says to us is it's okay uh, to not understand. It's okay to be uncertain about things. Um, and it's okay to see things differently from the way that somebody else sees them as well. Um, and I think those kinds of, of aspects are, are, are just so healthy for us. You know, I think that somebody who doesn't have curiosity or who doesn't ask questions uh, they stagnate, you know, because they're confined to a little box. Uh, and, and we need to be able to grow. We need to be able to uh, expand our knowledge of the world around us as well as our knowledge of God. Uh, and curiosity is the big thing that I think helps us to do that uh, yeah. in so many ways. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think when you get stuck in... The opposite of curiosity is certainty, in a way. Like, you can get stuck in certainty... Um, yes. if you are not curious, you know, if you don't ask questions. And certainty can be quite can be quite a safe and secure and even comforting place. Uh, you know, it, it's quite tempting to stay there. But actually, the only way that we grow 
um, and that we move forward in our lives and we become who we're meant to be and we create great lives and, and great work is by being curious and yeah. always being curious, you know. Um, uh, well, and, and admitting we don't know everything, you know. I think um, um, the, the more we grow, <laughs> I think the more we realise that we've only scraped the surface of knowledge. Um, mm. And to me, that's refreshing. I think, you know, I mean, if, if God is um, so small that we can be certain about everything of who God is, then there's something wrong with our God. Um, I think that our God needs to be so big that we don't have um, knowledge, you know, of, of who God is. Um, mm. now, there are certain kinds of questions I think that are particularly important, you know. I mean, one of the things I talk about in that chapter on curiosity in the gift of wonder is that often we ask uh, impossible questions like, you know, why does God allow disasters to happen? You know, mm. nobody's ever going to come up with an answer to that kind of a question. But I think that the kinds of questions, the kind of curiosity that is particularly enriching for us is what I call active questioning. You know, instead of saying, why uh, did this happen? Asking, where is God in the midst of this? Or where does God want me to be in the midst of this as well? And they're the, a different kind of question that elicits response from us, or at least should elicit response. And I think in particular, they're the kinds of questions that we should be asking that very definitely grow our faith and, and grow us as people. Um, and um, <clears throat> but, but we can so easily get stuck in those other kinds of questions. Sometimes a cop-out, you know. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of like, I, I think that can be a cop-out when we say, oh, you know, why does God let this happen? Um, where we, I think sometimes it's a comfortable question uh, to ask in a way. Now, I'm not saying that people ask it for that reason because some people really struggle with why God allows disasters to happen and things like that. And, and I know I've struggled with that. But... Um, I'm never going to understand why disasters happen, not in a way that, that satisfies me on an ongoing basis. But when I start to ask myself the question, where is God in the midst of disasters, I come up with some, wow, God is present in the most remarkable ways. Um, one of the things that I've realized, one of the things that's fascinated me as I've looked at responses to disasters over the last several years is how so often... Uh, total strangers um, will come and help in the midst of a disaster, often coming from halfway across the world to help. And I think, wow, you know, I don't know why that disaster happened, but boy, that response that I see there, I think, is uh, the response of God uh, coming out our midst and, um, you know, kind of saying, this is this is who God intends us to be. This is how God intends us to, to respond at this time. Um, and, you know, it's like the good story of the Good Samaritans. Um, I, I think these are the Good Samaritans in our midst today, the people that respond in situations where we don't understand why they happen. Um, but the interesting thing, of course, with the story of the Good Samaritans, nobody's asking, why did this man get beaten up? 
you know, in a way, that's the equivalent to us saying, why did this disaster happen? Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's really interesting. I never thought of it that way before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because the, the reality is we don't, we live in a world which is not perfect and where things will go wrong and, you know, we will have, we will have pain and suffering in our lives one way or another and you can't explain it. You don't understand why. You never will, maybe, you know, but... Um, it's not the end you know no. that's like no. the message of Jesus like that's death is not death doesn't win you know no, that, that's that's, right. that's exactly yeah. like but the point you know uh, you know I lost a parent and um like 19 years ago but I wouldn't uh -huh. be the person that I am now if that had not happened yeah. now I would I want to change what happened yes I would love to change what happened but I wouldn't want to change who I've become as a result of it yeah, you know. Yeah. So it, I mean, but, that sounds a real. I don't know if that had. I mean, if you haven't experienced it, then you wouldn't understand what I'm talking about. But, but you know, there's some things that happen, and at the time, they're the, they're the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. And then, ten years later, you know, you think, well, if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have the life I have now. I wouldn't be who yeah. I am now, and I like who I am now. Yeah, you know, and yeah. that's and there's a really strange paradox in there, you know that, you know, in, in a way you don't need to know why it happened, you know, it it happened, and, I mean, the why question is what you ha what you often ask immediately in the aftermath of it, yeah. like you know straight afterwards. Yes, that's and that's a human reaction, but in time, and I can only say this with the benefit of 19 years, you know, of, since my mum passed away. Like in time, you actually start to appreciate what what came into your life as a result of that yeah, and yeah. Uh, well at the same time still wishing that that thing had not happened yeah oh yeah and, and, and recognising where God was in the midst of that as well you know and, and I think sometimes as you say God is there kind of um, forming us into the people that um, God intends us to be uh, not that God wishes those horrible things upon us, you know, God doesn't wish us to go without a parent, God doesn't wish us, uh, wish that people be abused or uh, suffer in war or things like that, but God can definitely use those kinds of situations to strengthen people too, uh, and to make us more into the people that God intends us to be, uh, and as you say, that's part of the paradox, um, and we need to learn to ask the, the right kind of questions, you know. God, what do you want me, what can I learn from this? Or, or what have you done in my life? You know, I mean, I've looked back at some challenging episodes of my own life. You know, my, I had an abusive father, um, and that definitely shaped me. But boy, God has used uh, the shaping that came from that uh, to, you know, enable me to do some incredible things, things that I would never expected to have done. Uh, but, you know, that was possible as a result of that. Um, did God want my father to be abusive? No way. But God can certainly use those kinds of things. Now, I'm talking about physical abuse here. Yeah, you know, he was yeah. physically abusive. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, it, it, you know, but God can use those things if we will allow God to do so. Um, 
and mm. if we will ask the questions that uh, enable us to take full advantage of what God is able to do, I think as well. Absolutely, absolutely agree. Um, the other thing I, I think I wanted to explore was unleashing your inner child, like because uh, there's a there's a big there can be a big difference. There's a big difference between engaging with your inner child and allowing him expression in a healthy way, in a childlike way, um, and then just being childish, you know, um, and immature, you know. Um, so how do we engage like that inner child in a in a healthy kind of positive way? You know, and in some ways I'd say I'm not an expert on this and I'm certainly still learning. But I think for me, part of what um, doing research for uh, The Gift of Wonder did was that it gave me permission uh, to be playful again. It gave me permission to be creative. I mean, I started painting on rocks and I started um, doodling and, and coloring in my doodles and I started doing creative kind of exercises um, that, you know, of course, as I did more research and uh, chatted to a friend of mine who's a, a creative art therapist, these are the kinds of, of things that they use these days in art, in, in therapy. Um, you know, so it's, it's like they don't really use the term unleashing your inner child, but I think that part of what therapy has discovered is that getting in touch with that inner childlikeness which is within all of us is something that can bring us healing, it can bring us uh, liberation and freedom, uh, it can uh, you know, open us, us up in wonderful ways. And that is different. Um, childlikeness is different from childishness and immaturity, very definitely so. This is more getting in touch with the um, you know, those creative characteristics of childhood, I think, uh, that can be so enriching for us and for who God intends us to be. Yeah, I agree. I think it's about, it's about, like you say, the playfulness and the imagination and the, um, the kind of, the kind of sense of adventure, um, and even, even a little bit of mischief in some ways, in a, in a, in a healthy way, like, um, that that desire to learn and be curious you know they're all kind of childlike qualities aren't they um yeah. and if we can somehow yeah use those in a healthy way and lean into them a little bit we will be healthier people well i think so and also um i think we're healthier when we start to look at god um, through some of these lenses too. Now, not all the time, you know. I mean, our God is uh, an awesome God in so many different ways. But I think that we have denied the playfulness of God. Um, you know, I think that we uh, follow a God um, who loves to play in some ways. Who loves to laugh. Um, you, you know, and you say, "What do you mean, loves to play?" Well, <laughs> I, maybe this is my imagination. But when I fly now. I'm always the person who has the shutter up looking down uh, on the landscape that's passing by. 
Well, when I'm in a plane, I love to look down uh, at the landscape that's passing beneath me, and particularly the rivers. Uh, you know, I look down and I see the river meandering across the plain, and I think to myself, that's God doodling down there. You know, it's like that's a playful God. Uh, and that's kind of been the impression as I've, I've um, done more kind of thinking about God as a God who loves to laugh, a God who loves to dance, a God who loves to play. Uh, I'm looking for the playfulness of God around me. And, and, and I suppose that's one of the things that really shows that to me. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, when you look at it, that it's a whole different lens of seeing the world, isn't it? It uh, is, yes. Yeah, and it's kind of a it's, a it's a different way to see God as well. Like, uh, you know, we we I think yeah, we often ref, kind of when we talk about oh the image of God when you're made in the image of God that we we talk about a lot of things, a lot of qualities, but we don't talk about playfulness and adventure and uh, risk and and curiosity and all these things which are quite human um, characteristics. But, and, but if we're made in, in the image of the divine, then they're, they're divine characteristics as well, you know. And so, yeah, you're right, I think. I think so. Well, and many of us grew up with the very authoritarian image of God. You know, a God who's very strict, a God who is more likely to reprimand us than to come out and play with us type of thing. And, and I really do think that that has done a lot of damage to our image of God and, and even to our image of ourselves. As you say, if we're created in the image of God, then I think some of these things that I'm talking about here are part of the image of God as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And especially when you think about the fact that this kind of playfulness, curiosity, like adventure, kind of, those are the things that help us grow. And so... <laughs> It makes sense that that we would that, that we would that the divine would want us to explore these parts of ourselves because they help us grow, um, and so they help us become more like the people that we were created to be. More, they become help us become more our true selves, you know. And so there's no oh, reason so. why he would not, why the divine would not want us to explore those those parts of ourselves. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I, I think so. I, I think that we have, um, you know, in many ways uh, created a false image of, of God because we've, um, we've ignored these aspects, but we've also created a false image of ourselves. You know, we've, we've kind of um, made ourselves, uh, particularly as followers of Christ, we've made ourselves into very serious uh, people that don't have fun. You know, I mean, you think of the churches that don't allow dancing, that don't allow, or some of the musical instruments that don't allow, you know, people, the kids to go out and play on the swings on Sunday and things like that. And you think, you know, how much damage have we done to ourselves and to the image of God within us because we've denied ourselves these kinds of interactions? Mm, I agree, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we need to embrace them. Um, and explore them, um, not run away from them. Absolutely. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask was how did, like, you did a lot of research for this book and a lot of, obviously learned a lot as you were writing this book. Um, so, I mean, how did creating this book 
change your relationship with the divine and how did it how did it change you in terms of your creativity and your approach to creativity uh quite a lot one of the things that um, my husband tom and i started doing as a result of some of the research that i was uh, uh doing was we we walk regularly we try to walk three or four miles uh three or four t- times a week and so we started calling our walks all in wonder walks. And as we walked, we would point out to each other uh, the things that gave us a sense of awe. Um, and as the seasons changed, uh, you know, we would talk about what are the things that you're looking forward to in the next season that might give you a sense of awe. And it's just been a wonderful, wonderful experience that has strengthened us and has made us uh, more aware of the presence of God in the world around us in, in ways that has, I, I think, been very, very special for both of us. So that, that is one thing. Um, the other one is gratitude. Uh, when I was working on the chapter on gratitude, I was reading a book called The Gratitude Diaries. And this woman, what she did was she took 10 aspects of her life and she spent a month uh, on, on each of these giving gratitude um, for, um, you know, that, that particular area and different aspects of it. And so as a result of that, I uh, started to incorporate into my uh, Sabbath practice uh, a, pra- a practice of gratitude where I would take time. I, I've, I've, for many years, I've journaled on a Sunday. Um, that's been part of my Sunday observant. I, I don't journal every day of the week. I just journal on Sunday. But as a result of this research, I added to that a section where it was, what are you grateful for? You know, and looking back over that last week and uh, reflecting on what I was grateful for again, it, it's been a huge uh, kind of boost to my life and my spirituality and, and given me tremendous joy as well, both of these practices have given me tremendous joy. So they're probably the ones um, that stand out the most. Though, as I mentioned earlier, I've also started doing things like um, painting on rocks uh, and um, doodling and, and, and doing artwork, very messy artwork, uh, because the, the idea of this is not to produce something that's perfect, uh, but, you know, to, to be like a kid and just be creative. Uh, and these kind of practices I found have been very enriching both in my life and my uh, my faith as well. That's amazing. That's really wonderful. Like, and I love that you discovered gratitude as well. That's a really beautiful thing. You know? Oh, it is. It is. It's just amazing. Um, I think it's something I tell people, uh, you know, one of the things that I have loved about living here in the United States is... Um, Thanksgiving, uh, American Thanksgiving, which I have embraced with great enthusiasm because growing up in Australia where we don't have an equivalent to Thanksgiving, I tell people Australians aren't very thankful, uh, which is true, unfortunately. I don't think Australians are very thankful. And so having the, well, what started out as a day uh, and then became, for me, a whole season um Canadian Thanksgiving is actually about a month or six weeks before uh, American Thanksgiving. And so I now we have good 
Canadian friends that live just over the border and we often go up and celebrate Canadian Thanksgiving with them in October. And then for me, the season between Canadian Thanksgiving and um, American Thanksgiving has become a season of uh, Thanksgiving, which I've loved. Um, and so I institute different practices that help to reflect that. Um, one of the things that I do, you know, I talked about painting on rocks, but I also am a keen gardener, and I love to um, mm. create little reflective gardens or contemplative gardens. And one of the things that I did last year uh, before Thanksgiving was that I created a, uh, a garden that was my gratitude garden, and um, I had two rocks that I put in it, one of them that said gratitude, and one of them that said, my cup overflows. Um, and I put it, and I had some plants in it. I actually had a, a, a frame that had a little hook on it that I could hang a plant that uh, literally overflowed into the rest of the garden. And so this was my gratitude garden, and I put it on my desk, and it became the focus for my spiritual practices and for that practice of gratitude during the, the season between... Canadian Thanksgiving and American Thanksgiving. It's just wonderful. It's just a really, really wonderful experience for me. Yeah, that's one of the fascinating things when you start to embrace wonder and and create an imagination and playfulness, um, oh, yeah. and be fully present in the moment, um, as opposed to always looking to the future or living in the past. Then you start to become more grateful. Um, Definitely, yes, yes. And it does wonderful things to our spirits, and I think it does wonderful things to our relationship with God as well. Yeah, absolutely agree, yeah. Um, so just kind of as we come towards the end, like I guess the, the, like the heart of this conversation and this book that you've written uh, is what is, at it, what is the gift of wonder at its core? Oh, wow, that's quite a question. <laughs> I, well, I think that the gift of wonder at its core is um, rediscovering the, um, the wonder of God, I think. It's interesting. I've just been reading a book, I don't know if you've heard of it, called Landmarks by Robert McFarlane. Yes, I've read that. Yeah, that's amazing. Fascinating, fascinating book. And he talks about the fact that we have been... Uh, we have totally lost touch with the wonder of our world. And he talks about the need for the re-wonderment uh, of our lives. And um, I suppose to me, that is the gift of wonder, is reconnecting re to mystery, to, um, you know, to, this, to wonder, um, and what he calls the re-wonderment of the world. Um, and I think that we do need to connect to that and I think that that's the central message for me at least of uh, the gift of wonder is our need to reconnect to the wonder of the world and the wonder of our God and the wonder of the people that we share this planet with um, and to live in that joy uh, rather than being caught up in all the negative things of messages around us or the consumerism of, of the messages around us and and all of these things that have a tendency to distract us from the glory of God, I think. Yeah. 
I love that. That's beautiful. Um, yeah. Well, thank you, Christine, for for coming on the show and talking about this. It's been uh, it's been really amazing. Oh, you're welcome. And the book is available. Um, you can get it on. I think you can get it on Amazon and everywhere you get books. Um, the Gift of Wonder. It's called. Um, and if um, and where can people connect with you, Christine? Uh, the best place is through the blog, godsbaselight.com. So I am also on Instagram and Twitter, uh, and it's Christine Sign on both of those, and Facebook as well. Fantastic. Great. And I really would recommend this book. Um, it's a really interesting topic, really, I think a really important topic as well. And uh, we've really just scratched the surface today. So thank you, Christine, for coming on. Oh, thank um, you. It's been a pleasure. And thanks, everyone, for listening.